Matthew chapter number 17 tonight. Gospel of Matthew chapter number 17. And we're going to go to the mountain of transfiguration tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, verse 1 says, And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us here make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. Father, we thank you for the good word of God tonight. We ask you, Lord, that you might open our eyes to the truths that are before us. Lord, I pray that you'll transport us to this mount of transfiguration. And may we see you as you are. And may we behold your glory tonight. May we bow before you and having received that, be better witnesses as we go forth into this world. Dear God, thank you for these folk that have come from different congregations and churches. And Lord, you've allotted us the privilege to assemble ourselves together in your house. Lord, we look to you and ask you that we might receive from you that which we need. Lord, save sinners, continue to work in backsliders' heart. Lord, help your people, and we'll thank you, Father, and we'll bless you, Lord, for all you do. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we've been following the Gospel of Matthew, we've noticed that we've gone from mountain to mountain to mountain, and we beheld Jesus on those mountains. The Gospel of Matthew is the Gospel of His majesty and His deity. And we find that on these mountains they became majestic because of Jesus visiting them and what He chose to do on these mountaintops. Tonight we come to chapter number 17. And it tells us how that He took three of His disciples, Peter, James, and John. And in verse number 1 it says that He went up into an exceeding high mountain apart. And on this mountain is called the mountain of transfiguration. Transfiguration simply means Jesus let what was on the inside come to the outside. Now if you were on earth and you saw Jesus, you would see just a natural man. Matter of fact, he looked so much like his disciples that when Judas came after him in the garden of Gethsemane, he had to kiss Jesus on the cheek to distinguish him from any of the other disciples. If you saw him out in a crowd, he didn't have an aurora or a halo or a glow about him. 
uh, in those situations. No, the Bible says he took on himself the form of a servant. And when Jesus came, he was born in the lowly manger in the barn there in Bethlehem. And he came as an humble servant of Jehovah. And looking on him, you saw him as a natural man. But that did not mean that he wasn't God. In John chapter number 3, talking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus couldn't understand the new birth. And the Lord said, if I tell you things that you ought to know, what if I tell you something you don't know? For the Son of Man that's on earth is in heaven. For he came down from heaven, but he's still in heaven. You're looking at me now, I'm on earth, but I'm in heaven. And yet I came down from heaven, and I'm here on earth. Now figure that one out, Nicodemus. And it just sort of sent his head winding sideways because Jesus, and you'll never understand how he was 100% man, and yet he was 100% God. Not 50% man and 50% God, but 100% God and 100% man. And in heaven right now, there is the man Christ Jesus who bled and died on the cross, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, and yet he never ceased to be God at the same time. Now, this Mount of Transfiguration shares with us many different precious truths. I, I see some prophetical truths starting out. It tells us that after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on that mountain. Now, he just told them in verse number 28, Verily of chapter 16, Verily I say unto you, There be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Well, we know that all of the disciples died. Every one of them died. But the Lord said there's going to be some among you, and He didn't name which one. I believe He was talking about Peter, James, and John that would be able to see Jesus coming in His kingdom. They were going to get a beautiful drawing and a picture of the coming kingdom of our blessed Lord. Now they had no idea what was in store for them. And when he took them to the mountain, it says it was an exceeding high mountain. And there are some exceeding high mountains that God's children get to go with and behold the Lord. Now I see first of all in this coming kingdom... It says after six days. I believe that six days is significant to the fact that the Lord has been working with man for six days or 6,000 years. A day with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. And if you go back and study the early believers of the church, they believed the Lord would work with man for 6,000 years and then come in the millennial. And the Lord has promised this earth a day of rest. Creation groans in itself and longs for the hour that it will be released from the curse. Right now we're bumping into the seventh millennium or God's day on this earth. Now the way men have kept time, it could have varied a few years here or there. And I'm not setting dates to say that this is exactly when he'll come. But I do believe that as God's children, that day will not overtake us as the children of darkness, for we are the children of light. And God's given us enough revelation in His Word for the signs given to the Jews. Now the church has no signs. The Jews require a sign, but not us. We don't get any signs. He said, be ready in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. 
in the moment, the twinkle of an eye, at any moment, nothing has to be fulfilled for Jesus to come. And yet we know there are things that have to be fulfilled for his kingdom to come. For instance, there'll have to be the rebuilding of the temple. So there'll be the abomination of desolation in the middle of the great tribulation. And right now in Israel, they've already got the, uh, the materials ready to build the temple. They've got it all lined up. Man, they're ready to do it at a snap of the finger and in a moment's time. And I've got a corner off the cornerstone that they're going to use for the rebuilding of the new temple. I was there in Jerusalem preaching when they came and picked it up hastily out of the north part of Jerusalem and run it down to the southern part to the dung gate. Rebecca and I went down there and they broke a little corner off the cornerstone. I got that on my mantle to remind me, buddy, they're setting up for temple worship. And I said all that to say this, it was after six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on that mountain and they got to see this beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. You realize we're bumping into God's millennial? I had a fellow standing in Paris, France, I was giving out Gospels of John and Romans there outside a subway and he came up to me and he said, now... There was a guy came through here back in the 60s giving out the gospel of Luke and he had a sign around his neck that said, Jesus is coming soon and he hasn't come. said, what have you got to say to that? I said, well, have you ever heard of a fellow by the name of Noah? He said, yeah. I said, well, the Bible says the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, 120 years. It wouldn't have taken that long to have built that ark. God slowed it down. God was merciful. He took his time about bringing judgment because when judgment came, it was over with. And I said, the reason he hasn't come is so he could call another preacher from halfway around the world to stand in your street again and hand you a gospel of John to keep your filthy hide out of hell so you could be saved by the grace of God. He said, oh, oh, I, I understand, I understand. I said, good, I hope you do, and I hope you'll get saved. Amen. And you say, well, you know, we look at all these things and the prophetical issues and all that, and he hadn't come yet. Preacher, what's happening? The Lord knows when it's over, it's over. When the change is made, it's made. And you that are sitting here lost without God for the rapture took place right now, you'll be sent strong delusion, be damned into believing a lie. Your day of grace will be over with, and you won't have another chance. There'll be sinners saved, but it won't be focused on Baptist church and people that knew because they didn't receive the love of the truth. They'd be sent strong delusion and damned then to believe in a lie. But after six days, then Jesus took them up on the mountain. Now, there's several characters on this mountain. First of all, I see a man by the name of Moses in verse number three. Behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias or Elijah talking with him. Now Moses represents the resurrected one. Moses died. God buried Moses. But now Moses is not dead. He's alive walking around on this mountain. He represents the resurrected ones. Praise God when the kingdom comes. There's going to be a resurrection and it'll be the first resurrection, and blessed is he that hath part in the first resurrection, and that's when the Lord comes back, all the believers that have died and gone to be with the Lord are going to come back with him, and God's going to raise their bodies and glorify them, and they'll be reunited with that body, and then we'll go to be with the Lord. I believe in the resurrection. 
1 Corinthians 15 tells us that there's going to be a resurrection and we've sown it in corruption. It'll be raised in incorruption. Thank God. Uh, me and Coulter was out toward Nashville, Tennessee, and I was preaching out that way. And Coulter's got this little book on where famous people have died at. So he wanted to go visit a graveyard. And so we went to a graveyard. He wanted to visit it. And it's where Johnny Cash is buried at, him and his wife of all people. And we went there, and they've got this tombstone there and all that, you know. And they both got gospel verses out of Psalms on there. And one of his last favorite songs that he sung was, Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. I stood right there at Johnny Cash's grave, and I sung, Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. I'm going to tell you what, the Holy Ghost come through there and me and Coulter had a spell at old Johnny Cash's grave singing, ain't no grave going to hold my body down. And I can imagine going, hallelujah, on that resurrection morning and seeing the graveyards burst wide open. Those that have fought in the battles and wars and exploded and sharks have eaten their body and all their molecules have been stroked from Dan to Beersheba. God knows where every morsel, every speck, every degree, all the DNA is there. And in that moment, the call of the trump, hallelujah, all that's going to come together. It's going to be reunited and glorified and God's going to let their spirit and their soul join with that glorified body and up from the grave they'll arise. You say, how do you know? Because Jesus is the first fruit. Praise God, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he said, all them that follow me, they're going to get up from that grave too. Amen. Now, death has got a sting to it. I don't care how spiritual you are. When I buried my daddy back last year, it's a hard thing, man. That's your daddy. That's the one that brought you into this world, one you love, uh, your best friend and all that. But glory be to God, every time I drive by his old grave, I say, Papa, uh, you'll be up from there for long. That old body will be up from there. I, Mom asked me what he's doing. I said, well, he's doing what we used to do on Zirconia Saturday night. He's having a spell right now. He's worshiping the Lord. Uh, the Bible said the souls of them that are underneath the altar crying out, how long, O oh Lord, how long, O oh Lord, are worshiping God and praising Him. But they're going to come back, and there'll be a resurrection. There's a resurrection. A second person on that mountain was Elijah. Now, Elijah went out of here a little different. The Bible tells us that he knew that the Lord is coming after him. He had a premonition that the Lord is going to catch him out. And them young Bible college boys knew that too. And they kept telling Elisha that held onto his coattail and following him around. Don't you know the Lord's going to take your master away from your head today? He said, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said, now God's called me to go here to Jericho. You stay here and say, Lord thy God liveth, I'll not leave thee. I'll not forsake thee. And he held on to that coattail. And everywhere Elijah went, Elisha followed him, stayed right there on his heels. Well, they went down to the Jordan River. And Elijah parted the waters hither and thither. And they walked over on dry ground. And he looked at Elisha, what shall be done to you? What do you want? He said, I want a double portion of the spirit that you've got. He said, you've asked a hard thing. It wasn't hard for Elijah to ask it. It wasn't hard for God to give it. It's going to be hard on him to receive it because he got not only twice the miracles, he got twice the suffering and the troubles too. And you go with God, you're going to have some hard things along this journey. Amen. And so they're walking in their fellowship and God said, all right, hook the horses up. Praise God, the angels came through the atmosphere and warped speed faster than the speed of thought. 
and down across the Jordan River knocked Elijah one way and Elisha the other and reached back and grabbed through Elijah and put him in the chariot strapped him in and out of here they went in a blazing chariot of fire. He represents the raptured ones. In this kingdom there's going to be the resurrected ones. In this kingdom there's going to be the raptured ones. So you really believe in the rapture? I sure do. Praise God. You say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. The word Bible is not in the Bible neither. Amen. But the Bible said we'll not all sleep, but we'll be caught up together with him to be with the Lord in the air. He says this corruption will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. Death will be swallowed up in victory. You'll be turned inside out, praise God, and the Lord will glorify you that fast, amen. The rapture, he'll call us unto himself in the clouds. Now, in this first part of the coming, he's not coming to earth, we're going to be with him, raptured out of here. Used to hear a lot of singing about the rapture, you don't hear a whole lot about that now. I'll meet you in the rapture, I'm still going to meet you in the rapture. People can quit believing if they want to. I'm not going to quit believing because it's in the book. Say, well, how can he do that? Well, how can he do a lot of things? We're not talking about natural. We're talking about God. We're talking about a coming kingdom. We're talking about the Lord proving his word, doing exactly what he said he was going to do. Amen. So there's the resurrected ones in the coming kingdom. There is the raptured ones. And then there's the remaining ones. Peter, James, and John was three living Jews on this earth that got to see it with their eyeballs. Praise God. When the Lord returns with His church at the end of the great tribulation period, there's going to be 144,000 male Jewish virgins that God has sealed and set aside that have been through this earth of preaching and declaring the gospel of the kingdom. Praise God, when the Lord breaks through that eastern sky riding on a great white horse. Oh, that's just a figure of speech. I'm like Brother Ralph Sexton Sr. You can ride in on a figure of speech if you want to. I'm going to ride back on a horse with Jesus. Amen. And he didn't say like unto or such as it were. He said on a great white horse. And he's going to come down through the valley of Jezreel and stomp the devil. The blood runs to the horse's bridle. He's going to destroy the armies of hell, grab the devil by the goozle and slam him into the bottomless pit and chain him down there for 1,000 solid years. He's going to split the Mount of Olives asunder, uncover the riches of the earth, set up the throne of David and rule and reign, as Psalms 2 says, with a rod of iron upon this earth. And the living Jews are going to see all that and a nation is going to be born in a day. And praise God, Israel's going to finally inherit the land that God promised them. And I know we got these all millennial folk, and I know they try to twist and strain the scriptures, but Jesus said this to the Sadducees, and he's telling them there's going to be a resurrection. He said, I am not the God of the dead. I am the God of the living. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
Now what's that got to do with the resurrection? Here's what it's got to do with the resurrection. God personally promised Abraham, Abraham, you walk in the length and the breadth of this land, I'm going to give it to you. Isaac, walk in this land, I'm going to give it to you. Jacob, the boundaries of this land, I'm going to give it to you. Well, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, when they died, they hadn't received the promise. Only thing Abraham had when he died was a little old parcel of ground where they buried him at. That's it. They didn't own that country. They didn't possess it. And by the way, the children of Israel have never possessed all the boundaries that God had promised them. So therefore, either God's a liar or he's going to have to raise Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob up. And Jesus said, one of these days, they're going to come from the north, the south, the east, and the west and sit down in tables with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Praise God, the children of Israel are going to multiply like the sands of the sea and the stars of the heaven. And King Jesus is going to reign. And praise God, the church is going to be in the honeymoon suite of the new uh, the, uh, city of God coming down from heaven. And the kings of the earth are going to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the curse is going to be lifted. And what a day that's going to be. And it's going to happen on this earth. Creation is going to be delivered from the curse. Creation is going to be delivered from the bonds and the thorns and the thistle and the wolf and the lamb are going to lay down beside each other and a little child's going to play on the hole of an asp, that poisonous snake, and praise God, the curse is going to be lifted when Jesus reigns. Glory to God, what earth this is going to be. Hey, sing, old trees. Shout, old seas. One of these days, Satan will be dropped into the pit and the curse is going to be lifted. And the Bible says if you've been faithful over a few things, God will make you ruler over many. And he's promised that his children are going to come back and reign with him in that millennial reign kingdom of a thousand solid years. He said, now there'll be some of you here that'll not see death, taste death, till you have seen the kingdom. And buddy, he drew a beautiful picture of the kingdom right there on this mountain. Hallelujah. What a day that's going to be. Woo! Bless the Lord, oh my soul. So that's some prophetical truths. Then there are some practical truths. Now, I noticed that only Peter, James, and John went up on this mountain. Now, why only these few? Why'd the 12 not go? Why'd the 70 not go? Why'd the 120 not go? I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to go. I don't know. Maybe the Lord didn't call on them to go. But I'm, I know that Peter, James, and John sure was glad they got to go. And you know what I found? I found God will not withhold His secrets from them that love Him. Oh, Abraham, God's going to destroy Sodom. He said, I had to pass by your house here, Abraham, because I wasn't going to do anything without coming by and telling you about it. God didn't have to tell Abraham nothing. He didn't know him nothing. He said, Abraham was a friend of God. God let him in on a few things. Oh, glory. And it may be God just let you in on a transfiguration mountain a time or two in this life. And you'll be able to behold some things that other folk just look at you and they'll say, you crazy. Are you nuts? You're saying God did that for you. The Lord what? 
Amen. It was just a few of them. But then when they got there, the Bible tells us they were blessed to see what they saw. Then Peter, oh my, bless his heart. He made a mistake here. He began to talk instead of just worship when God was on the move. And it behoove us to guard our words when God really moves through. They said something, all right, to start out with, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Sure was. Boy, any time you have a great manifestation of God in His presence and in His power, it is good to be there. But then he started making suggestions as to what God ought to do. He said, now, if thou will, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. Well, what was his mistake? Number one, he wanted to be stationary instead of missionary. He said, oh, man, we're on this glorious mountaintop. Hallelujah. Let's just get blessed and shout. You're here. Your presence is here. Woo, let's build a tabernacle. Let's just set up camp meeting right here and just stay here. Go back in the previous chapter. You know what happened? The Lord began to tell them how that the Son of Man would have to go to Jerusalem and how he would have to suffer many things of the chief priests and the elders in verse 21. From that time forward, Jesus began to show his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. If any man be my disciple, let him come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and he lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Peter, I told you, I got to go to Jerusalem. I got to bleed and I got to die there. In the very next episode in Peter's life, the Lord honors him to take him up on the high mountain and behold the kingdom, the coming kingdom and what it's going to be like. And he said, let us just park right here, build three tabernacles, stop it right here. No need for a cross, no need for all that suffering, man. Let's just be stationary. Let's don't be missionaries. But there's other people down off this mountain that need what I'm going to give you, and I didn't give that to you, so you could just get blessed and shout and sit around and brag about what I did for you. I did that in you and for you, so you could come down and help somebody else. And you know, when the Lord blesses us and reveals Himself to us and helps us, it's not just for us. We make a mistake when we say, let's just park it right here, let's stay right here. And then it was satanic in that he wanted to stop the Lord from going to the cross. Let's just sit up on this mountain now. And boy, everything could just come to us. But the Lord said, no, suffering is a part of serving God. Sometimes when we get blessed, and I mean the Lord really blesses, we get in our mind, I'm not going to have to suffer anymore. I'm not going to have to face any trials anymore. But that's about like going to Paris Island through boot camp and graduating and saying, I'm done with boot camp now. I won't have to fight. Oh, yeah. That's what sets you up for the fight. 
Well, the Lord's really helped me. God really blessed me now. No, that's what sets you up and gets you ready for the warfare. Amen. Uh, but while he was yet speaking, a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Just be quiet, Peter, and listen to what I'm saying to you. Listen to what I'm doing for you. Now, I want to look at this transfiguration. I found four transfigurations in the Bible. First of all, we see the Lord's transfiguration. The Bible says that he was transfigured among them. Now, the word transfigure, it means let what's on the inside come to the outside. Jesus literally unzipped and rolled back the robe of flesh and let his radiant deity and his glory come out for just, just a few moments. When that happened, they bit the dust. When that happened, they couldn't stand it, man. And I want to say that the Lord could have just revealed himself while he was on this earth and just said, here I am, and slayed the whole crowd. A fellow was riding with me one time, and he asked me, he said, Brother Andy, said, why did Jesus speak in parables to them and hide, hide his words from them? You know, a lot of times you'll be reading along, and uh, he spoke in parables, and he hid his word from I said, because he had to go to the cross. He did enough. They wanted to make him king as it was. But he only revealed enough to them to let them know that he was God, but didn't give them too much because he knew his duty was to go to the cross. He looked at me and said, oh, so that means he nearly got out of here alive, huh? I said, yeah, that's right. Had the kings of this earth known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but God hid all that from him so he could be crucified. Amen. But on this mountain, praise God, they saw him as God. And the Lord is going to show these disciples something, you know, uh, he tells them, don't you tell anybody, don't tell anybody what happened up here till after the Son of Man be risen from the dead. Because after I rise from the dead, it'll be all right. Because if you can follow the resurrection, none of the rest of it is hard to believe. You can believe that he conquered death, hell, and the grave, and he came alive again of his own innate power. Then you know that he is God. And he said, after the resurrection, you can spill the beans, boys. But till then, you just hold it back, hold it back. And the reason he wanted hell back was so he could be crucified. Amen. It bothered me for a long time. Why did he say don't tell anybody? I thought we were supposed to tell everybody. Yep, there's some things you need to keep your mouth shut till God says it's time to say it. Amen. Well, these boys picked up on that. And later on, they did get to write about it. Oh, Brother John, in John chapter number 1, said in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning. And he said, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He said, I'll tell you about a place on a mount of transfiguration. And we beheld His glory. As of the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And it was full of grace and full of truth. I saw Him on that mount. I know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, he dwelt among us. He became flesh, but I beheld his glory too. Amen. He's God. Amen. And then old brother James was there. James writes in James 1 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning. 
He said, I beheld that bright light and there wasn't no shadow of turning. It wasn't like the rising sun and the eclipse and the moon and the stars and all that. He said, this is a light like the world has never seen before and every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from Him who is brighter than the noonday sun. Amen. And then I want you to turn over there to 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter number 1. Oh, Peter said, I've held this in just as long as I can hold it in. i got to tell you folks something. All these false prophets coming around here, they're following their fables in verse 16. He said, I'll tell you something. We've not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Well, where did He see that? On the Mount of Transfiguration. And He said He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the holy mount. And I'm just telling you what I've seen and I saw it. But here's the blessed part of application. Peter says to us that never have been on that mountain and never have seen it like they saw it. In verse 19, we have also, here's what you got, a more sure word of prophecy. <laughs> he said, God has wrote it down. And he said, I know you believe what I'm saying. And I've told you about his excellent majesty and his glory and all that. But I'm going to tell you something. You've got a more sure word of prophecy right there in your hand. Boy, if I got into that from Genesis all the way through, from being born of the virgin to where it would be born, when, where, how, what, why, who, what, and running video and snapshots and all the prophecies and all of that and every bit of it point to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the fulfiller. He's God. He's God. He's God. You don't have to guess, doubt, wonder, hope so, maybe so. But right there in your lap is the blessed book that confirms who the Lord Jesus Christ is. We're not following fables, but a fairy tale junk men's making up and hatching out in their own mind. He said we're following the written Holy Word of God that has been proven and tried and over and over again has pointed to Him and said, He's God, He's God, He's God. Hallelujah. That's the Lord's transfiguration. And the excellent glory and the worship belongs to our blessed Savior. In the Bible, there's the line transformation. There's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 through 15. The Bible says that there are false apostles. They're deceitful workers, transforming themselves. And it's no, it's no wonder that they claim to be ministers of righteousness, but they are transforming themselves. He said, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Now that's part of this word that was used of Jesus, but not all the word. The word used there about the devil's transfiguration is an alteration of the outside, which does not necessarily mean that it's the same as the inside. Jesus' transfiguration was what's on the inside came to the outside. The devil transforms himself, but he's like a chameleon lizard. 
He's the master actor. I was in a church one time and I said, every actor's a hypocrite. I don't care who they are, they're an actor, they're a hypocrite. And I had this professional actor come up to me after, so, oh, have you don't know, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm not no hypocrite. I said, I'm an actor. I said, if you're an actor, you're a hypocrite. I said, because the word hypocrite means an actor. Amen. I remember watching the Beverly Hillbillies one time, and boy, old granny, she's just mesmerized by this big old cowboy, old tech somebody, you know. Finally, she got Jed to take her over there to the movie studio to meet him. Man, he saw in the saddle. He shot up the Wild West and all that. And when granny got to meet him, as short as she was, she looked down on him. He's a little old bitty short fella. And they put him up on a real high saddle, and he had a big old shoes that he wore and all that. And she said, what? This is, and she got mad because he wasn't who they had portrayed him to be. Amen. Oh, they'll show you the most beautiful sunset in Australia's ever been. And then you look and it's nothing more than a screen with, with, with pictures on it and all that. Amen. But that was an actor. He's a transformer. You can't swallow what he says. Oh, no, you better watch out. Just because he's thumping a Bible don't mean he's of God. Just because they walk up on your porch with a little green book, I'd like to talk to you about prophecy. You swallow that junk. Hey, plenty of transformers that have not been transfigured. Amen. But then number three, there is the living transfiguration for the believer. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now that word transform is the same word as transfigure, and it means let what's on the inside come to the outside. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men. He didn't say run out and get you a kerosene lamp and fill it up and light it up with a wick and try to make a light. He said, let your light so shine. If you are saved, Christ is in you. Colossians says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The fruit of the Spirit is, and if you are saved, if you have not the Spirit, then you're none of His. When we get the conformity of this world off of us, when we repent, when God washes us in His Word and by the power of the blood, then what's on the inside can shine to the outside. They took knowledge of those men, for they had been with Jesus. And they called them Christians first at Antioch. That means little Christ. And you know why they said that? Because they looked so much like Jesus, act so much like Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus was living in their heart. And they were not all conformed up to this world where people couldn't see Jesus in them. Amen. Something else the Bible tells us. It tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is that Spirit. 3, 17 and 18. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
But we all with an open face beholding as in a glass a glo- the glory of the Lord are changed in the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of God. That word change, it means transformed. How are we transformed? By the power of the Holy Ghost. By looking to Jesus Christ, looking unto Jesus Moses came down off that mountain. They had to put a veil over his face because his face is glowing, so he didn't even know it. But the reason is glowing, he'd been hanging out with God. You can't hang out with God. You can't hang around Jesus. You can't fellowship with Him. You can't get your eyes on Him, worship Him, without Him rubbing off all over you. And he said we're changed day by day in that. And I want to be more like Him. We sing that song, oh, to be like him, oh, to be like him. More, more about Jesus. More we look to him, more we will be like him. But then lastly tonight, there is the lasting transfiguration. I just seen this study in today, Philippians 3, 21. For our conversation is in heaven from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who... <clears throat> shall change our vile bodies, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself, who shall change, transfigure our vile bodies. These bodies are vile. If you don't believe it, just go two or three days without a shower. Amen. We're rotten. Yeah, you just lay there as a corpse, old blowflies come by, and uh, you, you, they say, we've got to put that outside. These bodies are vile. There's a lot of vile stuff about these bodies. But one day, praise God, I'm going to be transformed. What's on the inside is going to come to the outside. The Bible says if you're saved, you've got a seed of God that cannot sin. The Lord is in you. You don't see that right now, but praise God, it shall be seen one day, for we shall see him, and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I've given this illustration before, but you know God's children are popcorn. Amen. You put regular corn in a pan, heat it up, and it just blup, blup, blups around. But you put popcorn in a pan, close the lid, put the heat under it, Kapow, boom, pop, pow, boom. It becomes four times its size. It's turned inside out, and it becomes white as snow and more glorious than it's ever been. There's a transformation happens in that moment. Well, praise God, at the resurrection, at the rapture, he's going to change this vile body. This corruption is going to put on incorruption. This mortal is going to put on immortality. The reason being, they say popcorn has a little bit of water on the inside and it boils from the inside out. Well, praise God, I got a seed of God on the inside that never has sinned. And when that trumpet sounds, that seed of God in me is going to explode. And I'm going to be turned inside out. Hallelujah. This robe of flesh, I'll drop and rise. I'll seize the everlasting prize. I'll shout while passing through the air. Farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. Hallelujah. Amen.